Hey everybody, welcome to QRD Radio Season 2. I'm going to be discussing today the origins of QRD, how we got to where we are today, and with me to interject when I'm skipping something or there's something that needs more detail is Philip Polk Palmer. Thanks for joining in, Philip. Yeah, hey, how's it going, Brian? Doing good. Gonna start off back in, I'll go back to 1977. This film called Star Wars came out, cultural phenomena, you may recall. Yeah, it did make a splash, I guess. How old were you when that came out then? You were like 12, right? I was, uh, I was 11, yeah. 11. So w- yeah. was it of interest to people in your age range or? Yeah, I had a lot of friends that were, it was kind of the same as the Jaws Mania, which hit a couple of years earlier. Like just people in, in anticipation of the movie coming out. I hadn't jumped on it, but because of all these friends of mine had, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to have to go see what this is all about. Were you taken by it or anything? or, or no? I, I was, but for some reason, I didn't really follow through. I saw the first two, and then I kind of fell out on the whole thing. It's weird to me because re-watching them, I remember them as being dark and edgy, but when you re-watch them, you know, they're basically family movies. Yeah, there's a lot of there's things I used to think were hilarious, and I'll go back and check it out again. I'm like, that's not funny. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. So Star Wars came out when I was two. So uh, remember my initial viewings of it. But, you know, it's it's in there in the DNA or whatever. At that, As a kid, I would, you know, do the chores around the house to earn a couple of bucks to buy the Star Wars action figures. And that's where I was spending all my money. Suddenly, pretty rapidly after Return of the Jedi came out, they stopped making the figures altogether. Uh-huh. And so I had had my money I was making from my chores and I didn't have a, a place to spend it, you know, and I think a lot of other people, they fell in at that time. The GI Joe started coming out, the He-Man started coming out and neither of them were really my deal. So instead I ended up falling into getting comics. I fell into the Marvel comics. I didn't really know any other kids that were into comics. You live here in the South too. So like people in other parts of the country, comics, are really common for kids, but down here in the South, I think like comics are a little, little obscure, right? Yeah, it was weird. I uh, I had a friend who was super into Marvel and DC, and uh, he was a aspiring young aspiring filmmaker, and um, he turned me on to some DC stuff. So back then, I did I did get it, especially Swamp Thing. That was my big one. But I, I did I wasn't very broad with it though. I was pretty single minded. In some parts of the country, it's like especially during that era it's like every boy would get uh, comics oh no chris was a total exception he and his family are like complete exceptions to that like like you're saying there wasn't a big thing but but he was all into all of it yeah exactly yeah and so uh because of it not really being a big thing here in the letters pages sometimes there'd be things where people would talk about stuff they're doing there was this this guy that advertised what he was calling the marvel zombie society newsletter and uh, so i sent in my couple of stamps to get it it was like four four pieces of paper stapled together printed on a dot matrix printer of like comic reviews and uh you know speculation over what was going to be happening in upcoming books and stuff right and i probably got that for about a year um and then uh, the guy doing it, I think, like basically abandoned it eventually. Then uh, a few years later, I got into uh, the Robotech cartoons. 
what and, was that uh, what was that called uh, robotech so yeah. that it's like uh they brought in uh uh three uh japanese cartoons and they linked them linked them together into one giant narrative that it's a uh, macross um southern cross and genesis climber maspiaba okay uh, uh, and they wove them all together and i was really into it and i would get the comics and then there was an ad in the comic where somebody had a a newsletter that they were doing and and it was way more professional it was the size of a comic book it had fan art it had fan short stories in it it's pretty cool and from that i also ended up making a couple pen pals that were into robotech and you know other people that were creating their own robotech content and stuff there was one guy that he was making like short films uh using the action figures and stuff i mean there was there was a lot of, a lot of weirdness in that era that you know and like just the ability to find that stuff wasn't there like like today it wouldn't even be news if somebody's doing that you know but but, uh, but i think in the people that are into it that created more enthusiasm this little yeah you know yeah but yeah. yeah yeah he's doing on vhs tapes stop motion animation on vhs tapes i mean it was it's cool yeah um so that was that was getting me into some of the more uh weirder backstory side and i'm getting less and less into marvel comics and more into indie stuff and into horror stuff and then when i was visiting my grandma one time the uh comic shop up there they had what's the uh standard for zines which is uh you know five and a half by eight and a half which is a regular sheet of paper folded in half but right. they had these zines fanzines of uh clive barker and oh, so yeah. Yeah, so I got those, and in those, they had an ad for this uh, this zine called Scavenger's Newsletter, which all it did is review other zines and list zines that were looking for people to do contributions. And then around that same time, uh, there was a zine called Voices from the Edge that showed up at uh, this the local indie uh, used bookstore in my hometown. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, I realized that zines exist, and I hadn't thought about doing doing something on my own. But I had um, I was uh, ordering zines and uh, and sending in short stories that occasionally would get printed and stuff like that. Then um, the summer after I graduated from high school, I was going out with this girl that her and her sister were doing a zine, and it it wasn't anything that I would want to do. Like, I mean, it was cool or whatever, you know, it was like a lot of clip art and Uh occasional poetry or whatever. Uh, It wasn't anything that I wanted to do, but it did uh, say that I don't need to ask somebody for permission to do this. All I need to do is go into the Kinko's and photocopy some stuff, you know? Right. Right. but I, I still like, even though like that, you know, gave me the thumbs up for doing that. I still wasn't wasn't ready. But um, during this whole period too, I'm getting more into music because that's what that's what teenage boys do, you know. And yeah. so I got I got uh, pretty heavily into the goth scene 
and there are all these bands I like, and I couldn't find places that were interviewing them. I couldn't find places that were uh, reviewing them. It was like impossible to find out. Um, and this was in Raleigh, right? Yeah, this is in in Raleigh, and then uh, and then I moved to Boone for college, um, which okay. it's this just as just as hard to find out information there. Yeah, I mean, really, it's like it, during that time period, it was just it was hard to before the internet explosion. It was just really hard to get information at all. Yeah. So I started uh, I started my zine basic because I wanted to see interviews with the bands because the goth zines that they were around all all their interviews were awful like yeah. instead of having like you know a long form interview with the band where you see what the band says it would just be like and they gothily said to me no you know, <laughs> like, oh it is so so they were so pretentious i mean and they're you know there's a pretentious element to any any artistic endeavor and yeah. especially to musical endeavors and us and within that especially goth music endeavors but i mean it almost felt like these zines were a parody of the stuff that i liked so yeah when you said that it kind of reminded me of uh during the mid-90s on saturday night live with molly shannon oh, and chris Kattan. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like there was a lot of stuff that that was what it was like, um, and right. I was not into it, not into yeah. it at all. Yeah. So I uh, I I started up my zine, and uh, originally it was pronounced queered, but it had all the vowels taken out. Ah, um, uh, that's right. Which was a raver a raver raver thing at the time that a lot of raver people that I got into that scene would do uh, do this thing where it was like spell things without vowels in them which i guess is a precursor to how people shorten things down for texting and all that i but um yeah um, so what would a, what would queered mean just bizarre or messed up or yeah, yeah 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 it would mean like something got messed up like, okay but it, the reason it transformed from being called queered um to qrd was because uh the first interview i did was a tape and mail interview uh with lycia and they pronounced it as QRD on, on the cassette where they're doing it. And I was oh, like, okay. that sounds cool. And yeah. it, 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 you know, and I was into like the shoegaze stuff and things. So it kind of, kind of vaguely sounded like 4AD, you know, it like kind of worked. I thought it worked. So yeah, there's an element of mystery about it. Plus people like me were thinking, I guess I should know what that is. <laughs> Yeah, like 40 years down, down the line or whatever. Yeah, right. I did that first interview in uh, the fall of 1994. So, um, you know, we're almost 30 years, 30 years into QRD. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it is crazy. So the next uh, big evolution for QRD is, I think, in 1998, I was was working at Michael's Arts and Crafts. There was this teenage girl that worked there that had her own website. And I was like, oh, I have stuff I'm doing that I really need a website for. And so she offered to do it. And then like when I presented her with at that at that time probably like 250 pages of material, uh -huh. she was uh 
I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do this. So instead, (laughs) instead, uh, she spent like two or three afternoons with me and, uh, taught me HTML. That's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. And so, uh, so I made the first QRD webpage. I think the platform at that time was some, I went with the one, I think it was called NBCI or maybe it was Zoom XOOM. I can't remember. One turned into the other and I can't remember the order. Okay. But it was, was a thing where I, I just put all of my content on there. And then over the next, uh, it, took, it took a long time for me to get all the content up and everything. Well, that's, that's a good bit of content. Yeah, because um, you needed to... It, wa- it wasn't as easy to just uh, get things over and format it correctly as it is, as it has become. Right. And, uh, and figuring out how the hyperlinks work properly and all of that, making sure it works on different uh, web browsers at that time. It was just like everything was the Wild West still. Yeah. Oh, you stuck to it. I would have thrown my hands up. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm doing it with the dial-up modem, like you know, you'll, uh, <laughs> you, yeah. you, you can't waste your phone line, and and at that time you're paying per minute, you know, for uh, being connected to the internet. Yep. So you know, I'm like designing the web page, then I dial in, I upload the thing, check and see, oh, it doesn't look right. Get off the internet because I can't pay pay per minute, and then re-edit it. And then uh, upload it again, dial up, upload again. And, uh, you know, um, but as I'm doing that, one of the things that's happening is I'm realizing the amount of uh, views and interest I'm able to get over the Internet is is getting much higher than than my about ability to get views with. 200 to 500 copies of a paper zine right yeah things were starting to it was still real primitive i guess but things were starting to get pretty blown up by 98 99 as far as the internet went yeah and you didn't have as much competition in a way like there was no place else to uh to go you know it wasn't like oh there here's this kind of obscure band and i can find 50 interviews it's like here's this kind of obscure band and the only interview I can find is this one in QRD is the right. only one online. So, so there was a thing where in, around this time, the, uh, the price of shipping went up and the price of uh, printing went up. And so I was starting to scale back the number of physical issues because of those two um, right. things. And then eventually i i just decided like it's it's not worth it i'm just going to do the online thing and and so what that helped to do is it freed me up that i could do longer form interviews all of a sudden instead of you know uh, an an issue was 28 pages and i tried to have one two page interview and then two longer interviews and then a couple pages of reviews and that was that was the what ended up being the format Okay. that the two page interview would typically be with um, somebody that somebody else that's doing a zine or, or somebody that, you know, somebody that's in the industry, but not an artist per se. In the right. I gotcha. 
so I had those, I was, I was transitioning out to that. And then that led me to realize I could do like super long form interviews. So this translated out into what became the guitar interview series where I was asking the asking guitarists, like all, all these guitarists I was friends with the same 75 questions, really long and long gear headed. And, you know, like some of the interviews are, are like, you know, 15 to 20 pages. If you print them out, you know, totally, totally ridiculous that I could never do that in uh in the physical zine like there, there's no way yeah that, that it would make any kind of sense to try and try and do a hundred interviews in that style i did i did something where i released the first i don't even know how many as a pdf and people were like aren't you going to do a physical printed version of it and it was like it's over a thousand pages so <laughs> you know like it would be really cool no one is no one is gonna buy the uh, thousand page thousand page guitarist interview book. Yeah, that's a book. Yeah. Yeah, that is that's a real a big, book. That's a big book. Yeah, I mean, I did do a physical version of the um, the father's interviews, the first first volume of the father's interviews in that style. Uh-huh. Uh, that those interviews are typically six pages or less. Okay. And, and the book was still like over well over 300 pages. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, I felt like that that is something that I felt like it was something that people would have and might have an interest in buying it as a gift for somebody, you know? Yeah. And like a, like an in book form, not like a, a giant zine or something. Or well, yeah, 300 pages. You're, yeah. Yeah. Has to turn into a book. Yeah. Um, and really at this period is probably when I should have switched over to doing a podcast, but I didn't do that until like this past year, uh, somehow. And in part, I mean, like I was still, I was doing a lot of other things at the same time, you know, I was doing QRD. Like when I started QRD, I already had plans that I was going to start a record label and the two things were going to work together in a way for a long time. QRD was definitely on the back burner and and my own music and the stuff coming out on silver was taking up all the time that would have been taken up by QRD once I because once I switched from the physical format to the uh, online format it was kind of like less exciting to do and there's less of a deadline right and so I just stopped stopped doing it as much I would still typically do a series of interviews every every once in a while i don't even know how often every half a year or something um sometimes but sometimes it got like even sometimes there would be a couple year gap and then traditionally when when qrd was the physical print zine and it was going solid it was like every six weeks okay and like the first issue like i didn't even know if there would end up being a second issue or not but um then uh martin bose from attrition wrote and he's like i'll do an interview with you and so i was like oh shit i don't want to be embarrassed in front of this guy so i had to do a second issue uh, <laughs> and then it just snowballed that like 
when you when you're contacting bands about doing an interview and you don't have a physical thing to show them Mm -hmm. uh, they're a little less excited than if you mail them the thing and be like hey do you want to do an interview right right because you're there and they're like oh i can see that this is actually happening well when did uh so when did you were starting to put together the record label when did that actually what was the first year of of silver so uh QRD came, the, the first issue of QRD came out in February of 1995. And the, the actual final that I got the CDs in my hands and what started shipping them out and everything was March of 1996. Okay. Um, but uh, I had initially, I thought I was going to get it out in, uh, in 95 it is worth mentioning i suppose that i uh elected to drop out of college to um, make more money so that i could start the label that's you know more and all that it's more rock and roll anyway <laughs> yeah it is it is it is uh running your running your record let running a record labels just like going to school and that you're paying money to, right. <laughs> uh, to Learn how to do something that the world will not find as useful as you envision it finding. Uh, pretty much. Yeah, I was thinking. Uh, so you're doing, the, you're trying to do the, the interviews, the record label, and well, school or and or then trying to make money. And back then, were you taking care of your grandmother? Um, no, I did. My grandma didn't move in with me until 2003. Okay. Um, but but yeah, um, and then also I. Uh, I started doing comics in uh, 2001. I started doing my mini comics. And there were a couple of other side zines that I'd done in, during the 90s era. There was uh, this poetry zine I did called Random Kisses that it format was it was the size of a business card. Okay. And, that, and then Zombie Kisses was also the size of a business card. So the, the poetry one, it was like one poem per page. And, uh, and like the, the edge of it was like that they're like, that there was no authors listed. The authors were listed, like the pieces in this, in this issue are by these people. And, but there were, there were no, uh, there were no authors listed with the individual pieces. Okay. And like the, that it was supposed to be like, uh, really, um, volatile, um, angry uh, poetry style stuff where people would be freer in a way, not not having their name attached to, to the pieces. I got you. I got you. That makes sense. But so they're credited, but just not under the poem or above the poem. Correct. That's kind of cool. Then somebody yeah. else is reading it can try to match the poem to the name. Yeah. All right. They win a prize <laughs> if they guess all the names right. Right. So. And then uh, and then I started the zombie kisses was. Uh, I was doing these uh, zombie short stories, and so it was them, the comics that I did that were like a business card folded in half. The whole way that format came to exist was uh, been doing a couple comic-ish things, but nothing that I printed out. And I got contacted by the San Jose Museum of Art that they were doing a uh, this this big thing on zines, and QRD had. QRD had gotten a little bit famous. I was like reviewed in the Utney Reader and stuff. So wow. like the name was was out there, you know. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, so San Jose Museum of Art contacted me about doing the zine thing and would I be interested in contributing a new thing for for the festival, the festival and not festival um, installation for the installation they were doing. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not really doing anything that's in print anymore. So what would have to happen for me with my view that the internet is overtaking print media? What would have to happen for it to make sense for there to be a physical item? And I was like, okay, so either it would have to be something like massive, like the size of a twice the size of a newspaper or something. So it grabs your attention. Yeah. Or like super small. The, uh, the, the big one is unaffordable, obviously, to print. But yeah. the small one, the small one, you can do that. And then every single review of that installation mentioned my comic cool and uh and then when i would go on tour i would sell the comics and the comics were out selling cds and it was just crazy and that was the that's where the whole inspiration came from for the little mini comic was uh yeah and that makes sense the extreme thing you know one one way or the other yeah for sure yeah that's what gets attention so that's how i ended up getting back into comics which i had fallen out of them for for years and years so that's how i ended up getting into the idea of getting to do a podcast more seriously was i did this comic convention called space uh, small press and alternative comics expo in columbus ohio and i met this guy jason young who has been on the show and he um, had a podcast that he was doing where they would review comics and movies and stuff and it really like was like, oh, these, these guys are doing something that I could do because the other podcasts that I'd heard prior to that were like NPR quality level. And these guys were like two guys drinking beers talking about comics. So I did try to do um, a podcast a couple of times, but I was just not pleased with the quality of the audio. Right. And. I feel like early on in podcasting, people really cared more about the quality of audio than they do today. Today, it's just people will let anything slide, which is what we're doing. And the technology has gotten easier for doing it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, we're doing it. I'm doing it with a cell phone and a headphone. Yeah. I'm doing it with a cell phone and no headphone. No All headphone. Car. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Uh, which is a good thing. You know, I'm always about. Hey, because I, I don't like investing too much in myself and having to learn things. I'm just lazy. So, yeah. Uh, and I think that whole thing about the quality, you're right. I, I know for me, I do listen to some pretty high quality podcasts in terms of sound, but also I listen to ones that aren't, but it's about the content. Yeah. You know? There were a few other uh, podcasters that really were like pushing the idea that I could do it. Nick Marino was doing this uh, thing where he would. He was putting out like five podcasts a week and they would be like two or three hours long. And so he was like, he wasn't at anything, you know, because he didn't yeah. have time. He's doing like, he's doing a three hour episode every, every night. He, and he was, you know, doing his job or whatever by day. So yeah, that was kind of inspiring. Like just because even though Eric and uh, Jason that did gutter trash, even though it was, did have the drunken rambling and wasn't right. as professional NPR style stuff. Yeah. Um, Eric, Eric did 
care about the sound quality and did do editing, you know, and tighten the episodes up quite a bit. But, you know, it just, especially then, you know, as the, uh, the YouTube phenomena where everybody's just sitting there talking to their camera. Yes. It, it just really dumbed things down that it's like, Oh, your podcast can, you know, just seem more and more like I could, my standard, my standard of quality for content that I'm taking in is going down in a way. And so I also felt like that's true for everybody. So that helped with, uh, with the idea of, of me doing the uh, QRD radio. Also the fact that I realized, you know, for the way I was doing QRD, the ability for me to type out an interview right now, I'm, I'm just not going to transcribe stuff. It's not going to happen. And a lot of people, when I contacted them about doing interviews, more and more people are like, Oh, I don't want to type one out. I'll, I'd, I'd be happy to have a conversation instead. Yeah. I mean, that's where things are. And I think that most people would rather listen to the person having the conversation than actually bother to read in the current era. Well, there's that. There's something about the attention span with reading that has really just dropped off. Yeah. I'd like to say it's not true of me, but that would probably be a complete lie. <laughs> yeah. I do I do read, but like sometimes when I see like an article, I'm like, oh, shoot, this thing just goes on and on. But I, I'm fine to sit there and listen to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, plus, I feel like conversation are just, um, to me, there's like any writer would tell you, you don't write the way you talk. You know, that's how most writers will, you can't do it that way. But to me, just the natural flow of a conversation, if it's going well, is 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 good to hear, even if it is different from the way people would write their answers, you know? Yeah, and I do feel like there is something where QRD was always uh, less less of an interview and more of a convert more conversation starting questions than than right. interview questions in a way. Yeah. You know, like clearly the the answer to what kind of guitar pick do you use isn't isn't supposed to be okay. I use a Dunlap Tortex. Points oh seven oh or whatever. Yeah, uh, it the, the it's supposed to be. Well, why? You know, it's it's the obvious follow up is why. You know, right? And that's right. and that's a conversation that you know nobody wants to have that unless there's somebody that wants to hear it. You know, and for the record, the the answer to why is because those Tortex picks don't melt um, if you play super fast, which those uh, other kinds of picks they'll. I have a super, super heavy, super fast right hand and picks melt on me all the time, which yeah. it sounds like I'm bragging, but it's really me saying that I don't know how to use my instrument properly. Well, no, I, I like the subject too of picks because uh, I, I hate, all right, so I do the, I do Dunlop picks because they don't break. Now, I don't melt. They, they obviously don't melt. They will wear down over time. Um, but for me, the weird thing people always is that I'm a bass player and I use I either use like I use the, the thinnest three picks they've got, the one being 0.38 millimeters. And they're like, are you kidding me? Use that on a bass? That's what I would say too. <laughs> right, right. But the thing is, is first of all, I hold most of the pick between my fingers. So there's only a little edge even exposed. And it just feels comfortable to grab more of the pick. I, I feel like I'm not worried about it falling out of my fingers. 
And then I just rely on volume knobs on the bass. You know, that way I can pick more gently and and get a bigger sound. Everybody's got their little their little things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but so, how many of these have you done now? Now that you're back, now that you're doing it. Um, I think I might be this. This was this uh start restart here. I might be getting to around 10 okay. i'm hoping to i'm hoping to start to to push it again i kind of fell off because there was a lot of a lot of uh work in life that i was getting into and it just pushed everything back um yeah. but now i think uh my schedule is uh getting getting back on track for my ability to contact people on the regular and and uh and do these interviews and like i say the first the first the first spot is to get people to do people are like is he even do it but you know now that there's you know six to ten episodes or whatever i think people will be like oh okay well i'll talk to brian for an hour right it gives me an excuse to catch up with uh friends that i haven't talked to in a long time too a lot of the time you know um and to talk to them in a way that I wouldn't talk to them otherwise, you know, um, both you and I, we have kids about the same age and, yeah. uh, and part of, and, you know, so our conversations end up going a lot into that. And then, you know, when, when we did the podcast, I'd, I've had all these questions about, about your dad and how he influenced you for you know, almost 20 years, but like it just never came up in conversation. And that gave me the excuse to ask those questions and find out about that stuff, which I thought was cool. Right. Right. And I don't know that I mentioned to you that, um, just off subject real quick, we don't, we don't have to go into it, but speaking of that, I got, um, what do you call this? The yellow pad, the office depot, yellow pad thing, the, the legal pad, legal pad. That from 1980, where Dad dictated to my brother Jimmy about his life, and there is some crazy, weird, and oh. cool stuff in there. <laughs> so one day I'll have to catch up on that just for fun. And I, I, I know too that you, you've got, you did uh, an interview with Mike Watt, right? That I forgot about that whole part. So that was that was really the the final straw. That okay, I gotta start doing the pot, doing it as a podcast. Was Mike Watt for his podcast which he doesn't call it a podcast and i asked him about doing the bass interview series and he's like he's like oh man i totally love to do that but i ain't typing shit we'll talk about it and you can i'll record and we can record you can write it down i'm like oh shit i ain't gonna have time to write that down so, do mike Watt interview. so i still have to have to line up for figure out our schedules aligning for doing that interview but yeah. um but that was and and you can't have your Mike Watt interview be your first interview. You know, you got to work some kinks out first, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know why I thought you had told me that when it had already gone down. And I was like, I keep needing to uh, uh, go seek that out. But so it hadn't gone down yet. No, 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 no. Yeah, that was him interviewing me already went down. Me interviewing him hasn't gone down yet. Okay, I thought you did. I, I know. I thought both of those had happened though. I know because I listened to the other one, but I thought for some reason you'd interviewed him, and I hadn't got caught up to that. No, no, I'm I'm behind. So like some of it is like you know he's a touring musician. He's working 
all the time. So aligning schedules can be rough. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But that makes a good point, though. Get the feel of it. Get get the the sea legs on how all this works. Oh yeah, and I guess I I we skipped over it, but uh, I was a radio DJ. I guess 1994 and 1995 at my college station. Co- I was going to say uh, the college station. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a thing you did? Like, I think I told you this when I was up in Athens, the WOG, the college station, as you know, there's no format. So people just get to get students, yeah. get on there, do whatever they want. Like this one guy would go on there and he, he just did nothing but the replacements for three hours. Every time he got on, that was all he did. <laughs> Yeah, mine was a goth. I I did like a goth oriented show, you know. Okay. And, okay. But then, like, like my edge was that uh, I would uh, go to the, the thrift store and the antique store and get you know the beep turn a page things for kids. Oh yeah. So I would I would and I would uh, play one of those. If you listen to the whole three hours, you got to hear the whole book. Okay. Yeah, I know it's it's uh I mean it was it was fun definitely fun yeah when i first started really listening to that because uh i didn't we did have a, we've got a, we've always had a few college stations here but before scad really developed one it was there was no real rock college station here so it was interesting to start listening to one and then contrasting that with the very formatted you know and heavily advertised radio stations so that's cool. Yeah, that definitely would play into the to your experience getting to where you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and that did definitely contribute to me wanting to start the record label and uh, yeah, and being able to get in touch with bands and everything. So I think I think we pretty much covered it. I revealed all the mystery. I think you did. Biggest for me, the QRD, of course, was revealed. All right, sir. Thank you, and we'll. Uh, We'll keep in touch. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon, Brian.